0: I get the privilege of leading a small group in this church uh, every Monday night, and one thing I love about that is how honest and authentic the whole group is. We just kind of come together to read the Word and lean in and see what God's going to do. And I'm reminded when I stand up here and come before all of this congregation to chat about Jesus, that's all we're doing on a bigger setting is we're all here because we want to hear what Jesus is doing in our community. We're all here because we want to hear the voice of God. And so it just sucks me off to get to stand here and kind of point some direction, I guess, with that. Hey, if you have your Bibles, though, if you could open them up and turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 21. But if you haven't met me, my name is David. Uh, I get the privilege of being on Connect Team here most Sundays. And uh, if you haven't met me, me being on the Connect Team, what that means is I want to meet you. Um, I love meeting new people. I think that the, uh, the community in this church is beautiful. And it's such good fellowship. So come and chat to me after. Come and say hi. I'd love to hear some of your story and just get to know you a little bit more. But this morning, Scott brought it up. If you have been here for any amount of time, you will have heard the word becoming a whole heap of times this year. And it circles a question. And the question is, who are we as a church, as New Life, becoming? And they said, wow, that's a good question. How do we answer that? And the leadership team said, well, I don't know, really, but there's a, there's a big book that seems to have a lot of answers in it. How about we spend a lot of time this year reading that? That's good. And so as a community, for many of us, we've probably read more scripture this year than we've probably read for the entirety of our lives. And it's been beautiful. I mean, I finished Leviticus for the first time. I'm still gloating about that. That was months ago. Um, but like, it's been a cool year. But this morning, we want to ask this question again in a fresh way, in a new way. See, if the Scriptures tell us who we're meant to be becoming, then the Scriptures embodied in human flesh, the Word of God coming to humanity as a human, when He speaks, when Jesus says something, I want to listen. Because when Jesus says, hey, uh, uh, this is who we're meant to be, what he's saying is everything you've read in the Old Testament and everything you're going to read in the New Testament, I will give you the angle. I will give you the structure. This is the summative statement of what that means. So today we're going to ask, who does Jesus say we should be becoming? Let's jump in. Matthew 16, starting in verse 21, it says this. "Uh, From that time, oh, I can't read that. From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Hey, don't get caught up on that. We'll touch on it in a minute. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Jesus, he turns to his disciples and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, they got to deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you so much that all those beautiful, wonderful, and easy scriptures in the Bible, like "My burden is easy," "My yoke is like," you know, all of the, all of the, "My peace that surpasses all understanding" kind of scriptures, are beautiful feed a uh, food to our soul. But God, we also thank you for the scriptures that are sometimes harder to bear because they're true. And God, what we pray is as a congregation, we would approach this scripture the way you designed it to be understood. And we may, we may read this beautiful truth about who you are and what you've called us into in a way that actually transforms our hearts. God, we thank you that you are the author of this word and you will never contradict yourself or your ultimate mission in it. So may we rest easy and may we remember that you're good. May we remember, as every single letter in the New Testament begins, that we have grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if I say the words, light bulb moment, does everyone in this room kind of get what I mean? Like, 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 like you know when you're a kid and you are, uh, you know half under your doona, half under your blanket, kind of terrified, your eyes are fixed on a point in your room, there's like something there, it's a monster probably, perhaps a person who's staring there waiting to kill you, and you are terrified, so you're hiding under your blankets, and then you finally gain the courage, you get out of your bed, and you bolt, and don't forget, you're still wrapped in your blanket, because no one can hurt you when you're wrapped in a blanket, you're wrapped in your blanket, and you bolt to the light switch, you turn it on, it's a pile of laundry, I was convinced that was, how, how did I see a murderer there? That is just my clothes. And you're like, how could I see what I used to see before the light came on? How did this look the way I thought it looked? I, I went to Bible college a few years ago, and whilst I was there, I was sitting in class one time, and the lecturer threw out a question to us all. He said, and, and I want to point out who's in this room, Bible college students. So you'd hope they know something. Right? These are the youth pastors, the associate pastors of churches across Australia. You know, like these are the people who are chasing Jesus with their lives. And he asks a simple question. He says, hey, friends, what's the gospel that Jesus preached? You know, being the arrogant little person I was, I shot my hand up as quick as I could. Oh, I know this one. My hand goes up. My teacher looks at me and he says, David. And I say, easy. Jesus is dying on a cross. Resurrecting from the dead, saving us from our sin. Hallelujah. And the teacher looked at me and said, It's true, but that's not the gospel Jesus preached. Another hand went up. He goes, You. He said, God's love. He went, That is true. That's not the gospel necessarily that, I'm, that Jesus preached. Another hand goes up. God, God's good? He goes, Again, absolutely. I mean, Jesus literally expresses that the whole way through, but that's not the gospel he most preached. He pauses, and he reads out this scripture. Mark 1, 14 to 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, the good news of God. All right, guys, let me tell you, if I have good news, that's the good news of David. I'm going to be excited. When God has good news, we had better be ready to party. The good news of God, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the gospel Jesus preached. This is in Mark chapter 1. This is the first time Jesus starts his ministry. This is what he's recorded saying. He does talk about his death and resurrection. He does introduce that to his disciples. He tells him it's going to happen, but he doesn't preach it. What he preaches is the good news that the kingdom of God has come to humanity, and we human beings in all of our failed and silly and stupid ways have access to it. I want to make the point that this isn't just a one-time thing. You see, the very last sermon or the very last preaching Jesus is recorded to have is in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke. What was it his priority to speak about? The kingdom of God. See, this is the gospel. The cross, the resurrection, all of that, that was what we were, how Jesus crafted and formed the way for us to enter into this good news. But without this good news, the cross and the resurrection is worthless. Right? If he just died and resurrected and we had nowhere to go or do with that, we're like, sweet. Now what? No, no, that was all. Oh, thanks. Right? Like, What is that? No, no. He's like, I have saved you to draw you into my kingdom, into relationship with me, into my freedom, into my goodness. And when you're in here with me, then you'll understand why I was willing to die for you. Because what I'm offering and who I am is so good. Good. See, the gospel is what takes hard verses like "deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me" from being that little monster in the corner to something beautiful when the light is switched on, when we get it. So, who does Jesus want us to become? Who does Jesus say that we should be becoming? A people, confident, rejoicing, free. A people of his kingdom. Now, if you're in this room and you're not excited, well, you are in good company. I have read this verse a bazillion times. And I've even done Bible college and been schooled on this verse. And yet we were doing Becoming this year and I read over it that quick. And yet this is the very same verse which a few chapters before this moment happens in Matthew and in Luke. We see the story of angels so excited by the move of God that they are exploding with this energetic excitement and party. That they burst onto the scene of humanity and celebrate this good news that God is coming to humans with whoever will listen. Which just so happened to be a bunch of shepherds. He's like, like the heavens are pumped. And people are bored. That doesn't tell me that we're absolutely brutally awful and evil. What it tells me is we're lost. What it tells me is we don't get it. Then Jesus said to his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves. You know, there's no verse in the Bible that will contradict Jesus' ultimate message. If Jesus came to say, hey, guys, here's my good news. The kingdom of God is here, right? It's good news. Celebrate it. Get pumped. Get excited, right? Everything else he says is going to flow out of this truth. And so I'm going to annoy the living daylights out of everyone in this room today by quoting the same scripture on repeat until we can go home and remember it. Because here's the thing. If we don't get the good news, the rest of the verses we're not going to get either, we're just going to create. You know, we can say, take up my cross, deny yourself, follow me, all we want. But without the gospel, they're just words. Plenty of world systems have good words. Deny ourselves of what? We are called to deny ourselves of a throne that only God can fill. We must deny ourselves the throne in our hearts. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What we have to do today, my friends, is recognize we are in a war. There is a war within us that is tearing us apart. And if you're in this room and you're like, well, I'm not in a war, I must say you're not self-reflective enough. (laughs) We're all in a war. There are kingdoms within us vying for us, and unfortunately, we're not a neutral bystander. We're the problem. Let me me explain it this way. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 3, we did it a few few months ago in church, actually. We spoke about this very verse, but it actually starts by, it's it's a part of a 10-verse gospel summary, and it is one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture, in in my opinion, in the Bible. 10 verses. It's just, let me tell you what God did for you. And it starts by saying you were dead. Like, dead. Not like, I don't feel well. No, no, dead. And he goes on, let me explain to you how deep your death was. It says that the world around you and everything you see, that thing is dead. And it's hurting your soul. It's hurting your life. And not only that, there are spiritual forces of evil at work who are death coming at you. But let's disregard that for a minute. Let's go a bit deeper. Because your actual actions and words are perpetuating this death. You are part of the problem. When you speak and when you act, you have a habit of breaking things. And worse, breaking hearts. But it gets deeper. It's not just something we do. He says, guys, it's something you think. It's something you feel. It's deep in your soul and deep in your minds and deep in your hearts. This sin problem is a part of your inner person. And you think to yourself, well, that's hardly dead. I could certainly come back from that. I just have to get my heart, my thought, my soul, my mind, my actions in order, and I'll be fine, alive again, right? God's like, nah, hear me, man. The very foundation of who you are, the very foundation of you has been touched, hurt, and corrupted by this sin. By nature, we are children of wrath. By nature. He's like, don't you get it? This brokenness is so embedded in yourselves and in your souls and in your being that you can't divide where you end and death begins. What? Fleming Rutledge says it this way. From beginning to end, the Holy Scripture testify that the predicament of fallen humanity is so serious, so grave, so irredeemable from within that nothing short of divine intervention can rectify it. You see, here's the thing. It isn't your job to fix yourself or to be perfect or to define right and wrong. That's not your job. It isn't your job to be able to move mountains and heal the broken and walk on water. It isn't your job to have it all together, to be all knowing and to get the truths of the universe. It isn't your job. What your job is, is to let God be king. Is to deny yourself the throne we burn to own. Because I wake up most mornings and I like to be king. Right? I wake up in the morning and I'm like, well, I'm feeling this, thinking this, and I'm going to define my life by it, and God, I'll let you win where we agree. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's really letting God rule me. Right? Like, that's broken. C.S. Lewis says it this way. We do not come to God as bad people trying to become good people. In other words, we don't come to God as people who stuff it up, but we're trying not to. We don't come to God saying, hey, I'm going in a good direction. This is enough, right? Right? We come to God as rebels laying down our arms. The call isn't perfection, it's simply to stop resisting. The call isn't for us to get it, it's to stop denying that God's king and start denying ourselves as kings and queens. Sorry, girls are included. Um, <laughs> like, the issue we have in this space and in the world and in our hearts. Is that we do too much of denying the truth and not enough denying the lies. And so Jesus, is like, guys, would you hear me? This is good news. Rejoice and celebrate. Do you see the truth? This is good news. Get excited. This is good news. You don't have to fill that throne anymore. You don't have to fill a throne that's too big for you to sit in. Let me have that. I'm good. Let me have that throne and you ain't ever going to go back wishing, oh, I wish I was king again or queen again. Like we ain't going to go back there when we let him have the throne. What we're going to go is, God, thank you, Lord, you took that throne. I was a woeful monarch. So let's be practical. What does denying ourselves mean? What does denying ourselves mean? What if when we got up in the morning... And that emotional empire, you know, that, that sense that what I feel is true, that what I feel is real, that what I feel is ultimate. That sense that what I think and what I know is all there is to know. What if in that space we said emotions, mind, thoughts, and soul, you are good, but you're not king. I will listen to you, but I won't serve you. What if we said this, I believe in scripture. I believe in Jesus Christ as king. I believe he's good. I believe that if he says, I am saved by grace, then I am saved by grace, no matter how guilty I feel. And I believe that if he says, go this way, it's better for you, it's better for your communities, it's better for the world. Even if I don't get it, I can trust it. I will deny the inner monologue that's saying, David, rule. And I will stand and I will say, all right. All right. I am not the king. In fact, uh, there's, a, there's an ascetic in the 5th century called St. Mark the Ascetic. Uh, he, I don't think that was his last name. But he says this, Never belittle the significance of your thoughts, for not one escapes God's notice. Never belittle the significance of your thoughts, for not one escapes God's notice. That's not condemnation. That just shows you that you think it's just a thought, but God sees it, and he sees the brokenness in it. And unfortunately, everything that happens in here isn't just a thing that happens in isolation. It's like a a little uh, snowball at the top of the mountain that just keeps rolling. And we think, now these things aren't linked, they're just coincidences. But sure enough, we let these thoughts, I'm king, I'm queen, I should rule, I'm better, I'm bigger. I won't take into account this feeling that I am bigger and better than God right now. And slowly it becomes rebellion. Slowly it becomes actions. Slowly it becomes the Ephesians brokenness that is affecting our worlds and perpetuating evil and darkness. And we look around and we just see the hearts we've broken and the mess we've left. But if we can get back a little bit and say, you know what, not just when I wake up, but when I start my lunch break at work. Heck, when I'm driving and someone cuts me off. Heck, heck, no, whenever I forget that Jesus is king, I'm just going to pause. Breathe. I'm not the best. (laughs) And that's good news for everyone. Jesus, come and rule me and teach me what that means because I'm stupid. Show me what it means for you to be king and not me. Jesus is calling us to become a people that know who the throne belongs to. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And take up their cross. When it comes to the oddly, weirdly, out of place, hard words of Jesus, right? This is up there with the most daunting of them, right? Like, what is Jesus calling us into in this verse? Like, what does it mean to carry your cross? It sounds horrible. I've never carried a cross, but it doesn't sound good. In verse 15, let's read it again. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So wait, carrying my cross is good news? Carrying my cross is cause for celebration? I don't see a way. But think about it. We deny ourselves our rebellion. We say, God, I get it, you're king. You're a better ruler than me. I love you and I have been a silly, silly person to think I could do better than you. you, You made everything. You made me. And you've always been so good. I mean, I can see that in everything I see, right? I taste something delicious, and it's not like that just came out of nowhere. God designed that taste, and he designed my ability to taste it. Like, it's not like it just accidentally happened one day. Like, God designed that. And when I look at a sunset, it's not accidentally beautiful. That was an intentional work of God, so that my soul may be fed by that. So that I may see it and remember the creator who made it. I look out and I go, God, I am not a better ruler than you. I deny myself. But here's the thing. If the world is no longer our king, then we naturally are going to resist its leadership. Remember when C.S. Lewis said, we come as rebels laying down our arms. I want to put it this way. We come as rebels laying down our arms and we say, here you go, God. There's my, there's my weapons. And God says, now take them back up and turn them on the rebels turn them on the rebellion, turn them on the brokenness, turn them on the wounds, turn them on the hurting. Because here's the thing, we're not called to passively hate our sin. We're not called to passively stand against anything. We're called to actively engage the brokenness in this world with vehement dislike for it. I am called to take up arms against my brokenness, not to say, oh, that's horrible. I hate that. Anyway, I'm going to keep hurting people. And you may think, well, who would do that? But here's the thing. I want to point this out for a minute. You can have a beautiful moment with God. You can be midway through the most honest, sincere space of worship in your world. You can be on that like up and up, high and high, falling in love with Jesus kind of moment, and then you stub your toe, right? Or you may be having a moment with God in the car praying, right? And you are seeking the Lord on the way to work, and he is moving, eyes open, I hope. He is moving, and then you get cut off. It takes you minutes before you remember you were praying, right? You are honest, authentic, sincere but how quick our sin nature can step back in. There's a lady called Rosa Luxemburg. She has an incredible quote. She says this, Those who do not move do not notice their chains. That's huge. It's easy in the silence to let Jesus be Lord. It's easy in my bed to let Jesus be Lord. It's easy when nothing's going wrong to let Jesus be Lord. But the second we start living and moving, we quickly start to notice how heavy the chains are that bind us to the old way and to the kingdom and to brokenness, right? And this is precisely the experience of Peter that we read before. I mean, he got who Jesus was. He proclaimed that he was Lord. He celebrated. He was the first person a few verses before to be like, I know who you are, Messiah, Savior. And Jesus goes, well, on you I will build my church. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And a few verses later, he literally says to him, get behind me, Satan. Verses, not chapters, verses later. Let's read it from 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. You can hear the passion in Peter's voice. This isn't, this isn't sin. This is love. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. But here's the thing. He ain't talking about a little half-goat, half-man, red dude with horns and hoofs. He ain't talking about the one we envision, the snake serpent of old who corrupted Adam and Eve. In fact, the word Satan or Satan, the Greek word is quite similar, Satanus. And it literally just means this, one who opposes, an adversary. He ain't saying, oh my gosh, you've just been possessed by the devil himself. He's saying this. He's like, guys, I mean, he's like, Peter, you are opposing me. You are an adversary to my will, and you're doing it with good intentions. You're doing it, but, but, but you're doing it from human concerns. You're doing it filled with genuine love, but you're lost with the wrong root, the wrong cause for your love, cause for your actions. He says this, like, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block, e.g., I don't know, someone you might run into or that is opposing you to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but only human concerns. For the gospel to be good news to us, we actually have to let it be good news to us. For it to be good news to us, we have to taste its goodness and see its goodness and let it touch the parts of our heart we're kind of scared of it touching. I said it before in my prayer, but I just can't get over it. We love the verses that say his burden is light, his yoke is easy. We love the verses that say, oh, the peace that surpasses all understanding, man, it's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We love those verses, right? And we do because they're true and they're real. And we are also, but, but no, let me just say this before I even go on. We say these verses as though we're like, God, you can have my heart and guard it and bring peace. But you can't have my heart. That's what we do, right? We go, God, here you go. Here's my soul. Come and bring peace and love. But you can't actually have my soul. We're so quick to say, God, come and be king this way, this way, and this way, but don't you dare touch here. But here's the thing. He's either king or he's not. He's either good or he's not, and we either trust him or we don't. If we want him to come and guard my heart and my mind, he has to be the king of my heart and my mind. And if I want the burden that that is light and the yoke that is easy, then I need to live the life he called me into. In other words, he has to have the influence. And so taking up our cross is a call to actually physically, like practically turn against the brokenness that is breaking us. It's actually a love call. Let me explain it in a different way. The idea that we have to carry our cross, in fact, the idea that we say it's bad news we have to carry our cross, The fact that we enter this space and say, breaking news, Jesus wants to get involved in our lives and have all of it and touch it with his goodness. The very fact we act like that is a bad thing just shows that we don't understand how crosses work. Let me tell you something about crosses. Jesus wasn't dying when he was carrying his cross. Jesus wasn't dying when he was carrying his cross. When he was carrying his cross, he was uncomfortable. He was in pain. He was in agony. It was hard but he wasn't dying when he was carrying his cross. Do you know how crosses kill you? They kill you by carrying you. Crosses kill you when they lift you up. And you can't even breathe because you don't have the strength left in your body to lift up your body and take in one breath to make space in your lungs for oxygen. Do you know that when people die on the cross, they die of suffocation? Right? The literal method of death on a cross is it carrying you. And so what Jesus is saying is, it's hard and it's difficult, but carry your death or your death is going to carry you. Carry your cross or your cross will be carrying you. It isn't bad news. It's the only option. And we act like we have another one, don't we? We all kind of do this. And we can all think for a minute, now, nah, there's only the two options, carry a cross or don't. But we act like there's a third. Carry a cross. Be carried by a cross. Don't have a cross at all. We act like that's enough, right? We say, right, crosslessness is just over the next mound. It's just over the next promotion. It's just over the next pay rise. It's just over the next relationship. It's just over the next family milestone. It's just over the next applause. It's just over the next little bit of affirmation from the people. And if I just get there, whoo, I will be crossless. But there's not a person yet who's experienced that. In human history, in all the records of people we've ever read, we have never found a person who's found that. I mean, just look at celebrities. They have succeeded to the nth degree of their trade. They are generally loved and admired by the world, right? They are brilliant and successful. Many of them have good, wholesome families. You don't read about them because it's good news. It's not good news, but... Many of them have good families and are wholesome, and yet so many of them turn to brokenness, drugs, illicit substances, anything to tend to a pain because they've realised that more of the world isn't fixing it. But where do I go then? Jesus doesn't say if you have a cross, carry it. He says you have a car- you have a cross. Would you trust me and carry it? We've got to take action, my friends. We have to turn on our sin. We have to turn on it practically. We must carry our death or our death will carry us. We must say. Now, let me make this super practical. If you're in this room and, and you struggle with gossip, let me tell you how to carry your cross, how to wage war on your gossip. You turn to your friends and you say, "Friends, I have a struggle with gossip. Hold me accountable. And if your friends are perpetuating the brokenness, you simply withdraw from the conversation and find other friends who are going to support you in it. Don't cut them off. I'm not saying don't have friends with people who are sinners. I'm saying find friends also, a community also, that is encouraging and backing you to win this. How do you practically do it? Let's say you struggle with, uh, I don't know, swearing. What do we do? How do How do we combat that? I'll tell you one good way to combat it. Stop listening to lyrics that have swearing in them. That's what it means to carry your cross. It means to bear the burden of not being mastered by your sin. By your brokenness. In fact, we believe that this is so true that we actually take this to the levels of even things that aren't sin. For instance, food. Food is great. If you don't know that, my goodness, you need to eat more. Food is amazing. I love food. But here's the thing. Food is only good when I choose to eat it. But when I eat because I don't know how to not eat, that's a surefire way for me to die. That's when I get unhealthy. That's when I start getting quite sick. It's when I start creating habits that destroy me. It ain't even just a sin thing, it's anything. God is the only one that should be in surplus and power in our lives. Everything else we've got to carry. We're to carry the cross. We're going to say, "I'm in for you, Jesus. I'm following you, Jesus. Your kingship, your way. You're the Lord. I am in." And this is why Jesus finishes this section by saying, "Like whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves. They must carry their cross, and they got to follow me." We got to let God be king. Remember that verse I've quoted a few times. Let me quote it again. After Jesus, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news. the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Denying ourselves and taking up our cross in, in reverence of Christ is like repentance. But this call is the call for us to believe the good news. Follow me. Take yourself out of the throne Say, God, I still struggle. My emotions and my thoughts are manic, but I know no matter what they say or how I feel, your scripture is ultimately my truth. I will trust it. We pick up our crosses and we say, God, it's hard, but I'm going to wage war on my sin. I'm going to take actionable steps to resist my brokenness and perpetuating and hurting other people. Well, that's a pretty good thing to do. So you start doing that. But he's like, here's the thing. You do that in the desert blindly with nowhere to go, you ain't going to achieve nothing. Eyes on me. Follow me. Lock your attention on Jesus. You see, we act like Christianity, and I think everyone in this room has probably been guilty of it at some point, but we act like Christianity is all about not doing bad things. We act like the chief end of Christianity is simply not being a bad person. There's actually a word for that, and it's not Christianity. It's moralistic deism. You don't have to remember it. Just throwing it out there. But there is a word for that, and it isn't Christianity. You want to know what Christianity is about? It's about Jesus. Put a full stop on that sentence. Nothing more. It's about stepping into Jesus' presence, falling in love with who Jesus is, tasting his goodness, and being able to do nothing but reciprocate it. Because you are the sum of the people you hang around most with. And I want to be the sum of Christ. see I believe when Jesus says believe the good news follow me what he's saying is this the law doesn't always make sense I get that you aren't gods you don't know everything and I don't need you to would you just lay down your arms and trust me would you just trust me you don't have to get every word in my bible but would you trust me would you take every bit of strength and will you have and just say in this moment I'm in In fact, if you read the New Testament, you notice notice nearly every call to righteousness is done in a passive uh, tense. It's not saying, having been perfect, now come to me. He's saying, being perfected. In the pursuit and intent of being more like Jesus, we chase Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, be there, now come. He's saying, just come, I'll get you there. Come and be genuine and be sincere with your souls and I will walk you to the destination that's best for every possible party. You see, the world is broken and we know it. Evolution didn't work. Innovation hasn't solved it. Ideologies haven't fixed it, right? The next social media platform won't come to a close. Our hurting and broken and wounded souls. If anything, all of our efforts have only worsened it. Look at the world today. Look at the West today. I see people with brokenness deeper than I know how to poke a stick at. I see people everywhere in life who are wounded in the depths of their soul. They woke up tired, sad, in a well of just wounds. And if I could get the band to join me. We act like we can solve this problem by ourselves. And we act like this isn't a problem at all. And we act like I have some power when I don't. And Jesus just simply says in this verse, this weirdly hard verse, he says, guys, I have good news for everyone in this room. I have good news for everyone. Are you a Christian in this room? It's good news for you. Are you not a Christian in this room? It's good news for you. I have good news, uh, news that led angels to burst out of heaven celebrating. I have good news for you. I am good. You see, letting Jesus be king Just letting him have the throne, fixing our eyes on him, and literally kneeling. It looks like saying this I'm condemned. I've sinned. I'm heavy. I don't know what to do. But your scriptures say you've forgiven me. And if you're king, then you're king. And if you say as king that you have decreed me innocent, guilt free, and liberated, And who am I to argue? It's to say for what Jesus has paid for, his blood is enough. And if you've come in this room thinking you aren't good enough, let me tell you what you you are. You're not good enough. But you're also not king or queen. So your goodness was never the measure or the merit for your freedom and liberty. The king of all things was the one who was to bring us to that. His name is Jesus. He is the one who did it on the cross. He was the one who is enough and will continue to be enough. And you ain't gonna out sin that. You ain't gonna break that. See, the invitation is an open arms. Jesus walking to us and he says, just come and let me embrace you. Not just the shallow exterior. I'm talking about the Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, the depths of your nature. Just let me add it. My arms are open. I'm inviting you as you are. See, we're, we're invited. And it's good news to say I'm done with the broken. I'm done with the painful. I'm done with the burden. I've done with perpetuating brokenness. I'm done with the wounds I've been a part of. I'm done with this old way of being. I'm done with the wounds and the hurt that I have both been a part of and be a recipient of. I am done with the old kingdom because I see that it's damaged. You want to know why racism exists? It's not because people are racist. It's because people are sinful. You want to know why sexism exists? It's not because people don't like women. It's because people are sinful. You want to know why all of the problems don't seem to stop? It's not because if we just fix this one more issue on the outside, it'll be gone. It's because we have a sin problem. And Jesus says, friends, the kingdom of God is here and it's available to you. And this kingdom is good. And the king of it treasures you. And you may think, David, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I am. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm doing right now. You don't know how unrepentant I am. And yet Jesus' arms are open. And he says, just lay down your arms. Just deny yourself the throne. Would you just for a minute carry that cross that resists me? And would you look, would you fix your eyes? Jesus. That's the invitation that Jesus makes in this verse. To be a people who have caught sight of His glory and say that is enough for me. The craziness for us Christians in the room is that to have ever become a Christian, we had to have done that to begin with. We had to go through a process of denying ourselves. The Holy Spirit had to come in and literally lead us to deny ourselves, to carry our cross and to look to Jesus, right? That's how we became Christians in the first place. But here's the beautiful thing. There is a momentum to it. This is good news for me and you because I'm a sucky Christian and I need help. And the good news is that when we follow Jesus and we taste his goodness, we realize that it isn't quite as hard to deny myself anymore because I've realized he's actually a better king than me in some way. And I don't get it in full, but I get it in somewhat more. And so there's a momentum to that. And what happens is we deny ourselves, oof, that was a hard slog. And then we, you know, we carry our cross, ah, that was so difficult. And we fix our eyes on Jesus and Jesus turns around with the most passionate, loving, kind words warm embrace you will ever experience. And we say, why did I ever resist this? And with whatever we have in that moment, we just simply say, I deny myself that throne. I'm going to carry that. You see, we have a cross to carry. And we're either already dead on it or we're carrying it. But the good news of Christians, and for me and you in this room, is that as we do follow Jesus, as we do follow that cycle around, the Bible literally says the Holy Spirit is chipping away at that cross. It is becoming lighter. Not not figuratively, not metaphorically. I mean, He is literally chipping away the brokenness on us, the weights on us, the world on us, and making it physically lighter. There's a a whole Christian word for it. It's sanctification. It's it's literally a study of our faith. It's not just some idea David came up with. This has been around for as long as our faith has. If you carry your cross and fix your eyes on Jesus, that cross gets lighter. The burdens of this world, they start to disappear. In fact, Jesus says it this way. Um, He says, come and follow me. Come and look to me and watch me take care of you the message version of Matthew uh, chapter 6, uh, verse 27 to 34. It says it this way. It, it paraphrases it this way. It says, has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Don't you think it, do you really think it makes that much of a difference? Are you more saved because you're more fashionable? Instead of looking at the fashions, why don't you walk out into a field? Look at the wildflowers. They never primple shop. But have you seen the colors? and the designs, have you ever seen anything quite like it? The 10 best people in our country would look shabby compared to them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can actually respond to God's giving. Build people who don't know God and the way he works. They fuss over these things. But you both know God and how he works. Steep your life in the God reality. Love it. The God initiative. The God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. And they'll be met in a way the world could never meet them when you chase and you pursue Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not be happening tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever comes, with whatever comes up when the time comes. Or to summarize and put simply, it says at verse 33 in the scriptures, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Can I invite us to stand as we are able We're gonna take a minute and the band's gonna sing over us a song. I invite us to stand because I fall asleep when I sit down, but I want us to be attentive for a minute to listen to the cry of God that says, here's some good news. You don't have to sit in that throne anymore and you don't have to be carried on that cross anymore. Here's some good news. I am good and I am available to you. Would you join my kingdom?